Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 79 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodsick. This episode is with a fantastic and ferocious performer, singer, burlesque artist, writer, Little Bear, the Bearded Lady. I was so honored that she sat down to talk with me, and you're really going to enjoy this interview, which contains a snippet of her singing one of my very, very favorite songs. Uh, So I won't ruin that surprise for you. We'll be at the very end of the episode. If you're listening to this on the post date, which is April 2nd, that means that you still have time to clear your calendar tomorrow night at 12th Avenue Arts, 7.30, our first live taping of the Theatrical Mustang podcast. Thanks to Map Theater for hosting us for a Map play date. And thank you for listening to the Theatrical Mustang podcast. As always, you can visit theatricalmustang.podbean.com to learn more about the podcast, suggest episode guests, uh, make a one-time or recurring donation, and learn how to be a sponsor. All right, please enjoy episode 79 with Little Bear, the Bearded Lady. Very excited to welcome Little Bear, the Bearded Lady, to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I first saw you perform at (laughs) Debauchery, I think, three or four months ago or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, My good friends, Sky Newkirk and Caitlin Jones, uh, invited me. And I believe you you, you really set yourself up. What I was struck by is that you set yourself apart from the other acts by going into... Songs that one might not think of when associating with burlesque. Uh, And so I want to know how you first got into performing. Okay. Uh, I do want to touch on the the seemingly, um, the seeming polarity, I guess, of blending opera with burlesque. That's really one of the reasons I do it, because I'm I'm a big fan of um, obliterating this notion of highbrow and lowbrow, because I think it's all BS. But, um, <laughs> but also, I think, you know, the problem with opera is that even though, I mean, any, look, any opera you watch, it's either someone belting their heart out because they want to kill someone, or they want to bed somebody, to put it mildly, and, you know, or both. And so, opera is intensely earthy and sensual, and I think it... Well, no, it, it really saddens me that it's gotten this reputation for being something... Ele- I hate the word elevated. I think it's intensely class, uh, classist. But um, but just something lofty and on a pedestal and something that you have to like make a certain amount of figures to even be able to enjoy. So the whole reason I, com- I, I pair opera with burlesque is because I think the two are actually a really natural marriage. They're both earthy. They're both sensual. And so it's me kind of trying to bring opera down to ground level. So when people say it's an unlikely mix, um, that's kind of like, well, that's the point. I'm trying to make it not an unlikely mix. But uh, as far as how was I got into performing, um, I've always been a choir geek. In fact, I think I will credit choir geek, uh, being a choir geek as, as, as to what got me through school. I wasn't one of those smart kids that liked school. I was one of, I was one of those smart kids that hated school. And so, <laughs> but, I loved, but I loved choir. Um, and even when I wasn't doing my homework in any other class, I was at home studying. My parents thought it was funny that I, I, would, I would get in trouble for not doing homework, not because I was out smoking pop, because I was, you know, singing. And so, <laughs> and so <clears throat> I have to learn this Italian, okay? I can't do, I can't do my math homework. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. I was failing. I was failing math, but I could sing you a, a whole hymn in Latin. It was really weird. But anyway, um, so I, I had that kind of performance background, and I mean, I did have um, some 
teachers like who sort of privately tutored me. So I had that sort of priming, but like after high school, like I didn't really, I didn't really go into performance. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in musical theater. In fact, I don't really, up until recently, I really didn't think I could act my way out of a bag. But, um, but I mean, you know, fast forwarding until, uh, to now, I kind of was thrown into the performance thing. Um, and a lot of that has to do with my beard. Um, it's really hard for me to separate my beard because it's, it's become such a uh, part of my persona and part of what makes me known. And so when I met um, the sideshow that I'm in, which is called Reckless Freaks, when I met them at a beard competition, which I won, um, <laughs> they asked me if I had any sideshow experience, and I said no, and they were willing to kind of start me from square one. And in performing, you know, it really became a matter of, well, what can you bring to the table? And so... Um, they found out that I could sing and soon into performing with them, I started seeking out sort of solo, um, performances and I would sort of like be like, um, the act that came in between burlesque shows. So like, they'd be like a variety show and they'd have, you know, two or three burlesque strippers and then they would sort of quote unquote take a break and then have me go on and sing. But in being, in being in the burlesque community and like, well, I mean, being among it, I guess it really gave me this, um fascination with it and so it was a real sort of slow veering into working striptease into my acts and then one of the reckless freaks came to one of my shows and he's like why aren't you doing this with us and it's because i always just thought the freaks would be literally zero percent interested in me singing with them but as it turns out they really liked it and so one of the acts that i'm sort of known for doing with the freaks is um singing opera while either stomping barefoot on legos or barefoot on glass and let me tell you, let me tell you, the Legos hurt a lot more than glass. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's that's the Cliff Notes version of my performance history. <laughs> Why did you... Ch- so, they sort of trained you up in the... In, 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 the, in the pain the, department. Yeah. And so, if, is, it, is it something you can reveal or sort of the... It's- there's no well i mean as far as like how do you i mean there's no there's no trick i mean we we always say that everything we do is a matter of physics anatomy and mind over matter you know what they can teach you how to not get injured but there's no way to not make it hurt and i that that distinction is important is there's, there's a difference between bleeding and breaking something right. so <laughs> and so lots of lots of things we do do does you know it's just it's a matter of doing it as safely as possible to not seriously injure yourself but to just learn to build up a pain tolerance so yeah there's no it's there's no real big reveal because there's really nothing to reveal it's just like well it it hurts and you can either do it or you can't really (laughs) right on yeah how do you choose songs what songs call to you to perform them is it you have your repertoire and then what how do you choose new pieces to sort of shuffle in oh no that's that's a great actually i don't think anyone's asked me that and i love that question um I mean, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky that the choir that I was in in high school, I mean, you know, I know a lot of, from what I hear, a lot of choirs kind of just did, like, you know, Disney medleys and stuff, and that's, that's not, that's not poo-pooing that, it's just we did, like, real serious pieces, like, we did stuff from Carmina Burana, from different, um, from different requiems, we had a real heavy body of work, and so I'll pull from some of that, because it's so familiar to me, it's such, and there's also nostalgia in that, but also, like, things that really call to me will have like a really haunting melody um there are some puccini pieces that i like and also you know i used to sort of be afraid of veering out of anything 
anything beyond the mezzo soprano, which is like a soprano but a little bit lower um, repertoire, until I learned that I could transpose keys. So I'm like, if I like this song, it's a little out of my range. <laughs> I just draw, I just transpose it down a third. Or like, if I like something, there are a lot, there are a lot of great tenor arias, and I just find that I could just sing them an octave up. So it's really a lot of it is just about. It's about haunting melody with me. I, I, I fall in love with really unusual and catching melodies. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you perform at Debauchery. Mm-hmm. Where, where else can folks see you on a regular basis? Um, it's, it's, I mean, I'm hard to miss, but... <laughs> 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 really, anywhere. Um, even on my way here, like I had two people who I'm, I'm pretty sure I've never seen before. But really, it's hard to know at this point. And they were calling me, calling at me across the street, saying "Happy belated birthday." So people, so people know who I am. Um, so, but I met. I'm usually at debauchery monthly. It's, I think it's like every every third Thursday. Um, but um, forgive me, I'm getting over a sinus infection. Um, I my next show is, oh, my actual tomorrow, <laughs> at the Fun House, which is sort of um, the little side stage of, of El Corazon, which is on East Lake. Um, I'm doing, it's, it's weird, it's like it's an afternoon show, it's, it's just, it's called Sinful, it's kind of like, you know, look at us stripping on Easter, pretty much. And <laughs> <laughs> so that's at El Corazon, I think like around three tomorrow, and then I'm doing Revelry, which is at Naked City Brewery, and that's Monday, April 4th, and then for anyone listening, or who will be listening, um, who's in Portland, I will be at Dante's in Portland on April 20th for Cannabis Cabaret, and if you haven't picked up, it's on 420, because <laughs> they were clever, and then I will, the next, the night after that, I will be at the next debauchery at Neighbors on the 21st, so I'm pretty sure that's my April schedule. Yeah. <laughs> you recently toured to... Texas. <laughs> I'm calling it a tour. Really, what happened? It was really. It was like a mental health break. Um, I had a couple friends that I, I love when I have people who sort of bridge the line between friends and fans, and it's always nice. And so she was like, "What can I do to get you to Texas?" And I was like, <laughs> "Well, I was." And the thing is, it's like I never want to assume, so I always let people know I'm really broke. <laughs> Um, those of you who follow my fan page know that I've, I've had a recent financial and emotional devastation that I'm still recovering from. And so, uh, and so, and so I didn't want to assume. So I was like, well, I'm broke. And she was like, no, she goes, no, you don't understand. I have, I, I, I will get the ticket. And so I looked at my schedule and I was like, well, I can do tomorrow. <laughs> so it was a really, I don't think it was tomorrow. Wow. I think it was like three days. It might've been like three days in advance. It was very, very soon in advance, but it was like the only, <clears throat> it was the only time <clears throat> within the next couple weeks where I didn't have any shows. And so. In three days, like I just, I packed a bag, went to Texas, and I think like a day before I got there, um, <clears throat> word went out that <clears throat> I was heading there, and so someone in the Texas burlesque scene hit me up, and they were like, "Can I get you to perform?" And so I jumped at it because like it wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar. I always think that people need like weeks in advance and text sheets and stuff, but that they were willing to take me, that they were happy to take me last minute, was really special. And I gotta tell you, like the. The northern Texas, like Dallas, Arlington, um, Denton, their burlesque scene is on point. Like, they're super, super talented and polished. I'm super impressed. So, yeah, so that was my <clears throat> that was my out-of-Washington debut. It was, it was good because I didn't know what Texas would think of me. And <clears throat> I don't think anyone knew that I was singing. I, I forget that singing burlesque is still 
sort of an untapped into niche. I mean, that's good. That's how I'm getting shows. If everyone's saying, I might not have a career. So, <clears throat> and so when I opened my mouth, everyone kind of just shut up because they're like, oh, she sings. <laughs> so it was good. So, yeah. dropping moment. In yeah. Texas. Yeah. It was, it was everything I could have asked for. So, yeah. <laughs> and I love seeing the, um, I love all of your posts on social media. God, do you? <laughs> I do. I, I do. I think um, <coughs> one of the things I really respect about you is, for me, it's being vulnerable is like pulling teeth. I think it's a superpower when people can do it and do it in a way that connects fans deeper to their art. Okay. And uh, I think you just ride that line really beautifully. Really? Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Thank you. I, you know, it's going to sound weird, but sometimes I... Um, it's never, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's not difficult for me to get there. Cause I guess I just feel like the more open I am about things, the more I'm destigmatizing them. So sometimes it's really the opposite. Sometimes I'm wondering like, is this oversharing? Like, should I scale it back a little bit? Cause I mean, it's hard. Like, you know, I, when, when I started becoming known, like everything else, there was this backlash that was accusatory of me just being an attention whore, wanting to be the specific of attention. And I used to really, really rail against that. You know, like, no, I don't, no, I don't. But the thing is, I mean, look, any anyone in the performance or really anyone in the arts industry, there ha- that exists a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, if a performer doesn't want attention, then it might not be the right field for them. <laughs> Because I kind of feel like that's part of the career. Part of the career is, is is getting attention. It's getting people's focus up at you. So, I mean, like, so now when people ask, I mean, if, if they, usually they just accuse. But if they ask, you know, are you just doing this for attention? It's like, well, no more than any other performer. So, you know, the thing is, I have this platform. So what do I want to do with it? You know, I can, you know, I can, I can, I, I don't... I was gonna say I could just post a lot of selfies. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to make this an us versus them thing. It's not. I mean, and that would be fine if that's what I wanted to do. But I guess I just felt like I had this platform and that I never had before. I used to just talk and talk and no one listened. So now I'm like, well, now I have all this, all these things to say and people are listening. So it just kind of seemed natural. Let me let me tap into some ugly stuff. I don't know. Like I I I, I appreciate that people find it brave, but it's just it just came really naturally to me. When did you start writing and submitting it to publications? Um, well, again, like, I've been writing forever. Like, I was, you know, I was in, the like, the literary magazine staff and the yearbook staff and stuff, and I wrote a lot of poetry as a kid. So writing in and of itself is not new to me. I love words. Um, I love the fluidity of language. I like, you know, I like being both verbose and being really against the whole um, grammar policing thing. So... <laughs> I'm really a, a big fan of not that. So, but um, as far as pu- <coughs> as far as um, po- uh, like having things published, I forget how that started. I I almost feel like I I must have written something as a post, and someone suggested, you know, there's this magazine that's looking for something like that. I don't, like I don't actually don't even really remember how, but it started like a little over a year ago. And I started doing almost weekly articles with a magazine called Ravishly. And then I think word just got out. And so I started doing some stuff with the establishment, um, with Offbeat Home, Everyday Feminism, Guerrilla Feminism, and HuffPost. And it was just like, 
you know, I guess what I do is, again, it's like that un, untapped into niche. Like, there's not too many people doing exactly what I do. And so I guess I just figured I brought in this perspective that doesn't get touched on much, you know. Um, and I felt like some, especially like, all right, like the one that, that made it really, I'm not going to say viral, but the one that made it pretty big was one on how being someone who's hairy and being someone who's fat and being someone who is quote unquote other doesn't mean having to be grateful for whatever you can get because that is such a hammered home point that you know if you don't if you're not sort of the cream of the crop you kind of just take what you you know just take whatever's offered because you don't have a right to be choosy and I think that's so intentionally damaging and so I really really I just I wrote it back because I think I just like I guess I just thought it needed to be addressed and it and it was funny like it got almost as much backlash as it did support, and it made me realize that the ones who hated it were the very ones who perpetuated that notion to begin with. And so I was not upset because I was like, well, no, these are the people that are, that I kind of want to anger. So, <laughs> and I just, I just kept writing. Like, you know, I mean, when... It's like every day when I leave my apartment, it's kind of an adventure. Like, I don't know what people are going to say and think and do. And so, like, I guess it's good and bad that, like, just as something as simple as a trip to the grocery store can result in these interactions with people that are worth writing about, you know, some, you know, people, I get stopped on the street asking like what, you know, what my genitals are and what, I mean, just, just a lot of just, what are you? I get, you know, I get people who are just incredibly invasive, incredibly rude. Um, or sometimes I get people who are just really kind. And so it's like I kind of I kind of accumulate material wherever I go, so it's it's really easy for me to write a lot because it's every day is an adventure. <laughs> every day is an adventure. Yeah, I'm gonna frame cross stitch it and frame it. Yeah, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording of so you have common questions that you get asked. Can we run through your FAQs? Yeah, and yeah, the ones that really get under your skin and the ones maybe you appreciate and are yes. happy to educate. Oh, absolutely, on. yeah. So, um. I think, you know, it, it's, I, I guess it's really any incarnation of how. And sometimes people will just look at me and just be like, how? And, I, and it's, I don't need to decode that. I know it's how do you have a beard? And so I'm always happy to educate people that I have a beard because of polycystic ovarian syndrome. Because understandably, a lot of people assume that I must have taken something to get it. And so sometimes people ask me, how long have you been on testosterone? And I'll be like, well, and sometimes I will answer 33 years. <laughs> because, you know, having... I want to be careful with the word natural because I don't want... I don't want to try and hold dominion over what natural is. But the thing is, unassisted. I've... I unassisted have high high testosterone on my own. My body makes that itself. So... But no, I've never taken it. Um, and I mean, the funny thing is, is I do get, I do get mistaken for transgender, but I get mistaken for really almost any type. Like I've gotten people who think I'm a trans woman. I've had people think I'm a trans man. I think it's just because, I don't know. I, I guess the combination of someone being intensely femme presenting and being this hairy, I guess it's really hard for people to pinpoint quote-unquote what I could be and so I guess most of the questions are just the very simple what how why you know um and then people will be really blunt and they'll just ask me what do you have and I mean 
I mean, look, I, I can only speak from the perspective of someone who is cisgender. And I know that in trans communities, that's a really, in, it could be a very invalidating question. And I, I can't attest for that because I, I don't, I can't speak from that experience. I will say that I honestly have no problem telling people that I have a vagina. Um, that's not the part that bothers me. It's when people say, no, you don't. <laughs> and that's, I think, what gets wow. me, you know, and it's hard because people will want to be like, you know, well, people will just straight up say, you're a man. And I mean, I, you know, when you're dealing with someone like that, you know, it's really, it's, do I really want to explain the complexities of what gender is to someone who's just saying you're a man? So I'm not going to say something like, no, I'm not a man. I have a vagina because obviously that's intensely transphobic. But, um, but it's just, but the, you know, but very interchangeably people will just say, and that's the thing. I, the questions don't bother me. The statements do ah. statements. You are a man. You have a penis. And it's like, neither one, like, as it as it so happens, neither one of those are true. <laughs> and I have, and so that's the thing. Like the questions, when people ask a question, whether or not they believe it, they're seeking they're seeking an answer, and I can appreciate that. I agree that it's no one's. No one should be personally held responsible for educating, for being a sole educator, for being everyone's livable, living teachable moment. I, I totally get that, and I get some people they just don't. They don't have it in them to answer. And that's and I totally get it. I happen to be happy to educate. And I think that's why when people just make assumptions, it makes me sad. Because not only are they insistent on something that's factually wrong, but they're robbing me and robbing themselves, really, of an opportunity for me to really patiently and kindly explain to them, well, let me explain to you why I'm not a man. Let me explain to you why I happen to not have a penis. Let me explain to you why I happen to have a beard. But So the questions don't don't bother me as much as the assumptions do. I just can't, every day is an adventure and I like that you, you're able to frame it that way because I, I can't stand talking to strangers on the street when I don't want to. Yeah. And it sort of, it almost forces you to live in a very public way. Right. I guess, you know, I guess that's it. Like it's not, I want to make sure I don't frame this in a way that says, like, well, you know, you asked for it. Because it's not that. It's just, but I am aware that looking the way I do, I think the days the days of having the privilege of anonymity are, at least for a while, not there. And so I can do one or two things. I can just be really sad and frustrated all the time. And I don't want, I mean, I, they would be, I mean it, it would be warranted if I were, but I'm just... I don't know. I just chose to make an effort to be really patient. And let I me mean, look. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not in the mood. And so, like even on the way here, someone just woke up to me and asked if I had a, if I had a penis. And it was just like. And sometimes, if I just write like a really, really funny and terse Facebook post, and sometimes that helps. You know what I mean? I think that's and that really ties into like you know how are you able to be so vulnerable? Well, it's because sometimes I need a place to blow off steam when people ask me really stupid things. So, <laughs> you know, it's therapy. So. When I have that, it's not so bad. And so, and again, at least they asked. <laughs> so that's how I do it. Questions and statement. So you yeah. recently shot a piece for a British channel. Yep. How did that come about and how did it go and when can we see it? Um, I will first answer the questions that I don't know. Um, and that's, <laughs> I don't know. I actually don't know what the station will be. Um, and I don't. Because, like, the 
the production company is who got in touch with me. What news station will be getting it and when, I don't know. I will receive that information and then I will be able to let everyone know. Like, when, when things aren't complete, it's always tough to know how public I can go with them. So, right, I mean, I've been absolutely. public about the part that, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. But the thing is, I just don't have the answers yet as to when. I imagine it'll be sometime in April. Sure. But, yeah, but um, but it'll be on the UK. So, I imagine if anyone... On this side of the Atlantic, well, we're on the Pacific. You know what I mean? Um, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, anyone on this side of the hemisphere, I guess it'll probably have to catch it streaming. Sure. So, again, I will let everyone know how and when and where. Um, but, yeah, so they um, they got in touch with me through one of the one of the posts on my fan page. Again, it's, it's hard to know where, but I think they said they found me. Oh, that's right. I was interviewed on Vice recently, which was a huge deal because I'm a big fan of Vice. And, um, and so I guess that's where they found me. And that's, you know, that's, that's one of the great things about having these articles is that like from there grow other opportunities. And, you know, it was kind of a, a matter of having to play phone tag with them for a while, but we finally nailed down a time and they had a local, uh, camera crew come film me and ask me questions and you know take a small photo shoot and that was fun I mean like you know when I do interviews like I, I generally it's not like the same questions but I mean like you know it's basically you know how how it happened how I got into performance why I choose to keep it you know and and so it's the stuff the questions were all pretty basic but yeah I don't I've been on Q13 here I was in July, but I haven't been on the news overseas yet, so I'm I'm excited to see what England will think of me. England has their own pretty famous bearded lady, so Nash got competition. No, would I'm kidding. Ever, <laughs> no. Would you ever want to perform with her? What would that be like? I don't. Well, she models, so okay. yeah, she model. I she might do some writing, but what she does mostly is modeling. So I don't know what a collaboration would look like, but we are virtual friends. It is a joke. Between the, uh, me and all the other some public or semi-public bearded ladies that we all know each other, um, we have to by law because how can one bearded lady not know another bearded lady, right? <laughs> it's like it's like when you go to New York, you know, and someone's like, "Oh, do you know my cousin?" No, I don't. But <laughs> no. Um, so yeah. So uh, obviously we we must all know each other. So we make a point too, um, and we all get confused for one another. Um, there is another bearded lady uh, who lives in, you know, the Puget Sound area, and we always get confused for one another, even though we don't really look anything alike other than the beard, which is very telling. But, um, yeah, no, so I would love to meet her. If nothing else, I would at least love to meet her and hang out with her, you know. Maybe the world will explode if you if you put enough of us together in one room, so. <laughs> I love that. I love that <laughs> What are some questions that you wish people would ask? What are, like, you would, if you were writing a set of questions to interview you, what would you throw into the mix? Um, I mean, I want people to know that there is a message in what I'm doing. I know that I know the idea of doing things as a political statement kind of makes people's eyes, eyes roll a little bit. I know it sounds pretentious, but the thing is, there is this idea that women can choose to be either true to themselves or successful. And not that they're completely polar, but there is, there has to be a significant amount of sacrifice. And that 
you know, and especially for something as quote unquote extreme as having a beard, you know, I was told both in so many and not so many words that, you know, you sure you can do whatever you want, but you have to be prepared for, which is coded language for you're asking for, um, you know, to kind of have, um, a life uh, of sacrifice, you know, a life of compromise that, you know, all right, you can have this, but lots of places aren't going to hire you and lots of pla- and lots of people aren't going to date you, which I think is funny because a lot of people generally don't have more than, I think, three or four lovers or jobs at a time. So I don't need a lot of places to hire me. I just need one. But, <laughs> but I understand what they're saying. Um, you know, and so I guess I'm just trying to remind people specifically women but really in a larger scale anybody that you know being quote-unquote othered having an appearance that is unique as long as it's not like directly oppressive to anybody it's not it doesn't mean you're doomed it doesn't mean you're destined for failure or to have to sacrifice your dreams or practicality you know what i mean like it's not like i grew this beard and suddenly i don't have bills to pay you know what i mean like i still i still continue i was gonna say as life as a normal adult i mean i'm in a freak show it's as normal as it's gonna get but you know but you know the fact is like i still have dreams i still have every plan of of being happy of being loved and i don't think that being openly strange has to involved giving that up and i it seemed like even saying it sounds strange like it's so strange that we've built that 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 dichotomy um and so i guess you know i i'm, I'm surprised by how much that question doesn't come up like it's you know there's a lot of you know I think people will frame it in a sense of, like, why did you stop trying to shave it? Like, almost like there's this assumption that I just kind of gave up. But so much more effort went was put into cultivating a life for myself with it than, than it was shaving. So And so much more reward, too, I think. So, Absolutely. I don't know if that, I don't know if any of that made sense. But it did. <laughs> that's, it my, did. <laughs> that's my answer. Thank you. You're welcome. What, what are your, like, big, talking about dreams, mm-hmm. like, one, I would love to read your fucking memoir. I hope That's, that... That is, that is in the cards. I don't Fantastic. know how that works. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to wait until I'm 90 to do that, because I'm afraid if I do no, it now, no. something really huge will happen is, like, the minute it's released. And I'll be like, oh, crap, I didn't write, add that in there. And you'll write your second memoir. You can write multiple memoirs. Is that... <laughs> Yeah. Is that, yeah? Is it, I'm, I'm always afraid of veering, uh, I would say I'm afraid of veering into self-indulgent. I think, I, I think that's, I think I've long, long crossed that line. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I guess I, yeah, I guess I should. I mean, I, it's definitely, it's definitely occurred to me to do so. I don't know. I know it sounds silly and probably falsely modest, but sometimes I'm worried and I wonder, would anyone actually read it? But I, this sound that sounds like I'm baiting and so I don't want to do that. But, um. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess. Like I said, I was worried that I, I haven't done enough yet to warrant writing one, but I can start. So that's yeah, that's definitely in my plans of things to do. Um, I mean, I would like to make a life for myself. I mean, I think I have the same dream a lot of artists do to, to be able to survive on my art and not you know just not just perform, but performing and writing. You know, instead of having to do the thing where I have a day job and I have a career that I'm cultivating, but you know. 
I also know that, you know, the world of arts, it's chimerical and it's, you know, it's, it's, it has a lot of flux. So it's, it's not easy to do. And I don't think there's any shame in being a part-time artist or being an artist on the side. So I don't think there's any shame in me having a nine and pursuing a nine to five. Ideally, of course, I would love to just be able to perform and write. So that's the goal I'm working towards, but I will never consider myself a failure if I don't get there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. So memoir, book Memoir. I would love, there uh, is, um, there's a theater in, I think it's Queen Anne, it's called Teatro Zinzani. Oh, yeah. I've seen Puddle's Pity Party there twice. Um, and I just, I mean, like everyone talks about, oh, I love to perform at, you know, Madison Square Garden. Of course, that's great. But like, you know, before I can get to New York, I would love to perform at Teatro Zinzani. Like, they already know. I, I, I Sometimes I'll just tag them in my Instagram posts. They'll be like, oh, someday I'll perform at, you know. <laughs> So they know they they're they're aware they're aware that I'm this little starry eyed kid, but I would like to be able to perform there. So that's that's kind of a goal of mine. We're saying it. We're making it so. I'm putting the energy out there. Do you compose music at all? I would love to listen to songs that you wrote. I do. Here's the uh, here's my deep shame as a musician. I'm terrible at reading music. Just terrible at it. And so, like, I've absolutely composed music, and I think some of it's actually quite pretty. But like. I can, what I hear, what I'm able to hear in my head and what I'm able to tinker out on a keyboard, it just doesn't sound the same. Like I would just have to hook up someone to my brain in order for them to really hear. And that's, that's frustrating as a composer to not really be able to, cause that's the thing. It's like, there was a point where I was writing an opera actually, and people would be like, I want to hear it. And then like, I would just tinker, like not even properly play just like, you know, like when people like type on the keyboard and like they finger peck, yeah, like that's how yeah. I play the piano. And they would kind of just look at me stunned and I would see them like trying to find a way to tell me that it sucks without telling me it sucks because you know, that's the problem. Like I, I can write it here in my head, but I can't get it out on a piano. So I think if I really ever wanted to pursue composing, I, I mean, I could go the long route and just like be a music student for a while, or I could do the sensible thing and probably just hire a collaborator. So this way someone could put what's in my head out on paper. I mean, that's how Paul McCartney did it when he wrote the Liverpool Oratorio. Guy's so f- freaking successful, but he doesn't he doesn't read music very well, so he had someone help him. <laughs> so that's probably what I would have to do, <laughs> which yeah. is fine, yeah. You talked a little bit earlier about the relationship with your fans, and I just want to hear some, some of the best stories you have from your fans. Yeah, so what... Um, my fans kind of come from different contingents and some of them have come from the sideshow world and from the mu- musician world and from the writer world and the feminist world. But a lot of, a big contingent of my fans come from the polycystic ovarian syndrome community. Now in the PCOS community, um, it's the thing is this, I mean, women, and I mean, I, I do want to go on and say that I, I try and always say people because not everyone with ovaries is a woman, but within the PCOS community, they're, are a lot of self-identified women who feel like failures because societally women are judged by, among many other things, three big things, and that's how thin they are, how hairless they are, and how fertile they are. And PCOS is uh, is something that makes weight loss very difficult um, or makes weight gain very easy, um, brings a lot of excess... <laughs> big quotes on excess hair and 
makes conceiving very difficult. And so there is just this entire generation, because it does seem like this generation has more positive diagnoses than others, and I don't, they, I don't think they've figured out why. But we have this generation of women between 20 and 40 who just feel like they have done womanhood wrong because of their um, condition. And so there is, unfortunately, a lot of commiserating over self-loathing in the community. And a lot of the solutions are how to fix, how to fix yourself, how to fight the disease. And I do, especially in the case of some of the physical pain that PCOS can cause, I think it's really valid. I mean, it's like, you know, like I would never ask someone to embrace their cancer. It's, it's, it's a crappy thing to tell somebody. But I do think that there is a lot of societal influence on why so many people with PCOS think that they're doing womanhood or they're are just doing living wrong. And so because I'm so outspoken about being proudly hairy and proudly fat and happily child-free, it's really down the middle. And so I've had a lot of women telling me that I'm spreading a really dangerous message and asking women to embrace being unhealthy, which is funny. I think it's really funny how my message of loving yourself is somehow gotten confused with don't take your medicine you know like it's just it's a, it's a right. weird link people have made i've never told anyone to not take care of your health i'm just saying you don't have to hate yourself in the process apparently that's that's wrong so <laughs> so so there are a lot of people in the pcos community who think i'm who think i'm quote-unquote dangerous and honestly i'd rather be dangerous than boring but <laughs> dangerous is at least fun but to answer to actually answer your question um a lot of my best my favorite emails and my favorite messages have come from people in the PCOS community that have said, I've always felt my body was disgusting. I've always felt my body was a disappointment. I never thought that being happy at this weight or being happy and being hairy or being successful and loving myself as someone who doesn't have children, I never knew that that was an option. And so when people say, either in so many or not so many words, you've shown me a path of life that I didn't realize existed – like that's huge that's so huge and that is what makes you know people i mean i didn't even get into the really scary stuff i i have i've had people tell me to just kill myself i've had people email me photos of a gun and just right do it you know wow yeah and so that's and when that hurts really bad i can just go back and read these emails where people just say thank you for being alive which is about as far, as far from that as you can get. And that's what makes it worth it. And those are the ones that are my favorite. Not, you know, not just, it's, it's, and this will sound falsely modest too, I realize, but it's, my favorites are not the ones that are like, oh my God, you sing so well, you're writing so good. It's what you do and what you say helps me. That's huge. And that, again, ties into why I do what I do. You know, I joke that my... My long-term goal, and I, I, I lifted this phrase from my therapist. I can't, I can't take credit for it. <laughs> but, um, but my long-term goal is to put myself out of business. And that's because right now I realize that being a bearded woman is strange enough that I can make a persona out of it. And it is, and it is something worth being in a sideshow over, which I don't say pejoratively. I love being in a sideshow. But maybe in slowly normalizing it, maybe women in the future won't have to join sideshows and won't have to write articles about 
what it's like being a bearded woman because it won't even be a matter of being a bearded woman anymore. It'll just be being a woman. I just got chills. (laughs) That was so fucking eloquent. Oh, thank you. Oh, I've been watching my language. I didn't realize. Okay, good. Just... Okay. Of swears if you want. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. I missed a great opportunity. <laughs> no, it's fine. But thank you. Where, okay. So <laughs> after this podcast, I hope that you get more fans. Uh, where can they find out information about you? So if you go on facebook.com slash littlebeardedbear, that is where I do the majority of my posting. And that's a combination of me posting up um sort of like i do a lot of live video feeds which is great it's like i can i can post like i can do a video and it's streaming to my page live so i can like talk to fans like they'll they'll be commenting while i'm speaking so we do a lot of those um a lot of advertisements for upcoming shows photo shoots from our photos from photo shoots i may have had and sometimes like i'll just do like these little rants called from the desk of bear and it'll just be shit that's on my mind that day and I'll post um, all my articles. So it's pretty much anything. It's every everything Little Bear. It's, it's um, also any updates about my Patreon. I do, if you do go on Patreon and look up Little Bear the Bearded Lady, I do have that. So for people who want to keep me alive and <laughs> pledge a little bit, I certainly won't turn that down either. But that's that's sort of my home base. From there, you can find my Twitter and my Instagram. But, you know, if you look up Little Bear on Instagram, I'm on there. I'm I'm pretty prolific on there as well. So... Honestly, at this point, if you just Google Little Bear the Bearded Lady, you'll find me. <laughs> well, thank you so much for thank coming you. on the podcast. Would you be willing to take us out with a little bit of music? Sing a little bit. Sing us out with a little something. Oh, man. I wish I felt better. Um, yeah, I will. I will try. Um, I'm going to sing something that's a little, a little more gentle on my voice. But um, <laughs> Maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time he'll stay. Maybe this time, for the first time, love won't hurry away. That's, that's it. That's, I all, you, that's, all, you, that's all you get for free. I love it. Thank you so much for indulging me. And thank you for thank coming you. and being a guest. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.